Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. The irony of him getting flames tattooed on his neck hours before he was to die in flames. Some people have called me a murderer. It was a cold New England day, but the excitement in the air for us was just, um, it was unparalleled. Looking at my friend Derek directly in the eye. That was it. Never saw him again. 96 bodies have been recovered and uh, seven so far have been identified. They say they may have to resort to medical records, dental records, and DNA with some of the other bodies. How can there be 100 deaths and people only do 16 months? They did their quick hit and they moved on with their politics. And we're all left to live with it. Joe's not a religious guy. He doesn't pray. But he says I was talking to whoever would listen, that I had to get out so that I could be with my daughter. These are the soundtracks of our lives. It's the one thing in life that we all have in common. That's why all those people were there. No indictments were sought against either the fire marshal, Dennis LaRoque, or the head of Jack Russell's Great White, that is Jack Russell. Whenever you think it's not gonna happen, it could happen. And I'm sure right up to 11 o'clock that night, Everybody on the guest list thought it was the luckiest day of their life. They just came out, you know, to see me sing. It was the perfect storm that all came together in one split second. Nobody deserves to die because they wanted to see a band. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 415. Available now in the US on Reels is The Guest List, a documentary that delves into the circumstances and ramifications of the 2003 Station Nightclub fire that left 100 people dead and 200 injured. A haunting exploration into how an unthinkable and unavoidable tragedy devastated a community the guest list is also a story of the human spirit rising above adversity. And joining me now is the director of the guest list, Mr. David Bellino. David, I thank you so very much for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Matt. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. You know, I remember, so I'm a fan of hard rock music, especially like music from the 80s. That's just my thing. And I remember vividly when the reports first came out about the station nightclub fire back in 2003. I mean, that even made news here in Australia, um, like it was on primetime uh, news. Um, and I was just really devastated watching it. I think to this day, I think it's like really kind of like a black mark in the history of that genre of music. And of course, in the everyone associated with it. Um, what about yourself, David? Do you remember where you were? Do you remember what was happening in your life at the time when you found out about the fire, about the fire at the station? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, you hit the nail on the head for sure. I think a lot of people remember 
kind of where they were, especially if they were fans of uh, of the music. Um, just briefly, um, my background is in music video. I was a director. Uh, I've worked with a lot of those bands on Sunset Boulevard and Hollywood in the heyday mm. of the 80s. And um, so I had a very close-knit attachment to that music as well. So I, like you, was also a fan, but I was also in the business. Um, the answer to your question is I had moved back to Rhode Island in the United States, which, which was on the East Coast, um, about 3,000 miles away from Los Angeles, with a young one-year-old and a three-year-old little girl and my wife. Mm. And I uh, just came back from a long stint in Los Angeles. Um, I woke up one morning, um, and to the horror, I was probably 15 minutes, 20 minutes from the Station Nightclub. That's how close I was in Rhode Island. And I certainly would have went to the show. I only did not go to the show because I didn't know about it. It wasn't promoted very well. Mm. But um, I just looked at the news and thought to myself a few things. One day, I, I think I just have to be the one to tell the story. Um, I come from that era. Uh, I worked with these bands. I'm also from Rhode Island. So it was a very, very odd, I don't want to say coincidence, but it was sort of fate that I think brought me together. The other big thing was I had thought to myself, you know, I could be one of those parents very easily, you know, who didn't come home that night and had my young girls essentially be without a parent um, as 65 other people were in that same position who lost a mother or father that night. And that's just absolutely tragic. I mean, it's, I remember that statistic. I've heard that in a, in a previous interview and it just, it's devastating when you put it into that kind of context. It really is. The documentary itself, you spoke about the the inspirations as to why you wanted to make it. How did the ball started to get rolling? When was it? When was that kind of uh, that kind of circumstance came up when you knew it was the right time to get the story told again? Because I have a feeling that on, on your part, it would have been a case of maybe people have forgotten what's happened some 19 years ago, and it was up to you to kind of remind them and to make sure they knew um, there were people out there still hurting from this, and there was still justice uh, to be done as well. Well, that's exactly right. And I think it was around the 10th anniversary. And as you know, with a lot of tragedies, most all tragedies, they sort of fade in time, except for the people who are infected by them. But around the 10th anniversary, which was 2013, because the fire happened in February of 2003, um, you know, you started to hear quite a few things going on. One of those was a book. The name of the book was Killer Show. And it was written by a person named John Baralek. John Baralek was one of the civil attorneys, very prominent attorney, who spent seven years on the civil case of the Station Nightclub. He also went on three years after that to write a book um, called Killer Show. That came out approximately at the 10th anniversary. So believe it or not, you say to yourself, well, okay, that's the 10th anniversary. That's 2013. And the documentary is just coming out in 2022. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it sounds like a long period of time. And I think a couple of it, some of it had to do with timing, just pure availability of me being able to take on a project like that. And then secondly, I just couldn't believe a, a story or a documentary of that caliber had not been done in, yeah. in the film documentary format. So I think it was a combination of those things, but um, the biggest issue was trust and access to tell such a powerful story. This was not, getting in front of people with a microphone and, you know, asking them questions. This was literally embedding yourself with all of these people on all sides and <clears throat> developing relationships over the years so that you can get the type of 
you know, emotions that we got out of the documentary. So if you add up all that time between the book and the relationships and just my time, you know, you're talking 10 years after that. So you're talking almost 20 years. Um, it is kind of incredible when you think about it. It is indeed. What's also incredible is that what I really appreciated about the, the, the documentary is that not only is it very thorough in regards to the circumstances that happened, but it also talks about the personal stories of those who perished in the fire. Their, their families speak for them in your documentary. Their friends speak for them in your documentary. How difficult was it, though, to approach the, you know, the, the survivors and the families of, of the victims of the fire? Was it, you know, was, was it a lot of what you were saying before, laying down the ground, groundwork and to show that you are, you are legit, you are of the community and you're not going to take advantage of it? Because I'd imagine that at the time, a lot of kind of like tabloid style people want to try to get their hands on this story and, um, you know, trying to approach people to take part of something would have been kind of difficult. You're absolutely right, um, without a doubt. And you are either in one of two positions. You are in a position where you were either a family member, close-knit survivor, and you just happen to be a filmmaker, which I don't think there were a lot of, or you were a filmmaker who had a significant background in music video, rock music, and trying to establish the relationship. So even though I knew people, Rhode Island is a very small knit community. It's a very, mm. you know, blue collar, small, like many around in the world that I think the reason why people can relate to this film so much is because this is just your ordinary town anywhere in the world. And um, it took a significant amount of time to develop these relationships. And, uh, but they had to be authentic relationships, not just, oh, I want to be a friend because I want to do a documentary. It, we literally became, and I still am very close to the people that you see in the film, and th there was only two ways I was going to do this. One was to get the true raw emotion of these people who believed in me, who trusted in me. And the other pro person who you, you'll probably ask me about a little bit is Jack Russell, who is the mm. lead singer of Great White, a very, very controversial documentary figure on his own. And <clears throat> it was a very difficult process to try to make the families understand that he was a person, that Jack Russell was a person that needed to be in this film along with them. That was the biggest challenge I had because most people wanted no part of Jack, at least mm -hmm. on the survivor family side. So it was a tightrope. It was like walking on a tightrope balancing act the, the whole time. But um, the answer to your question is it is relationships, it's access, and it's trust. You know, when Jack Russell appears on in the movie at first, the notes that I wrote down because I, you know, I take notes when I do reviews, etc. Um, I wrote down he's drowning in guilt and booze. It just seemed like that the guilt was so overwhelming for him. The abuse, the excesses of his lifestyle from from beforehand just like really took over him um, to the point where he just seemed like he was not really kind of um, functioning at all as a person. Now it seems like he's really gotten his life back together, but at the time when he was like really in the throes of his addictions and his demons. How difficult was it to get him on camera to talk about this? Because while on one circumstance you had the victims, the families of the victims not being very happy with him being in the, in the, in the movie, what was his attitude towards it all? Was he open to talk about it or is it just part of his nature as an entertainer and as a as a as a public figure to want to get on the record um especially even in regards to something as tragic as something as a station nightclub fire 
Yeah, um, all good, all very good points you make. Um, I think it's all of the above. Um, I think when you are a front man in rock music, as you know, and many people know, you have a nature and a tendency to be in the spotlight and, and wanting to be in the spotlight. And when something like this happens, uh, the irony and the, the emotions, the conflicting emotions of wanting to be in the spotlight and knowing that, you know, many people consider you a murderer has to be, I, I can't even imagine what goes on inside of your, your, your brain and your heart. So that was one of the reasons why I was so interested in exploring him as a character is because as you can imagine the inner conflict. So the answer is, <laughs> I think there was part of him that absolutely wanted to get out to the public what he really felt. And I think it was the same issue I had on the family side where Jack needed to trust somebody. Mm. The, the problem with Jack and a, a lot of folks, I think, is when they get on, they know the media, they respond to the media, they get radio interviews and television interviews and concerts, and they act like their persona, right? They act like, you know, the Jack Russell frontman. That's not the way you act after a tragedy like this. And I think the problem is every time Jack got on camera or Jack was on the radio, he may have said things that he may have regretted because he's in the persona of Jack Russell, the front man. So the way yeah. he communicates is probably not the best way. So I knew that the only way to do this was to treat Jack Russell as a documentary character and embed with that man. So I understood every part of him and that's what we had to do. It took me years um, to get what, you see on camera that is the real jack and there's many sides to jack as you see i don't think you can identify jack as a linear person <laughs> by any means he's got multiple multiple layers to him the matt's movie reviews podcast is brought to you by 80s tees 80s tees is an online retailer of licensed t-shirts and pop culture gear from your favorite movies tv shows cartoons video games comic books and musicians Celebrate your inner 80s nerd and click on the link in the show notes below to get the raddest retro t-shirts delivered to your door. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Loot Crate. Founded in 2012, Loot Crate is the worldwide leader in fan subscription boxes. Loot Crate partners with industry leaders in entertainment, gaming, sports and pop culture to deliver monthly themed crates, produce interactive experiences in digital content, and film original video productions. No matter what you geek out about, Loot Crate has a subscription box for you. To get your very own exclusive collectibles, apparel, and gear delivered to your door, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is also brought to you by Voodoo. Watch the latest movies and TV shows anytime, anywhere. No subscriptions, no contract. Enjoy stunning quality in up to 4K ultra high definition at home and download and watch on your mobile device as well. To rent and buy from over 100,000 titles or watch thousands of movies free with Voodoo Movies on us, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. Now, back to the show. Um, I wanted to talk about another person who's a, very much a central part of this story, and that's Joe Kinnan. Um, and for people who don't know, so Joe was the last survivor pulled from the fire, and, and because of that, he suffered really kind of like horrific, severe burns from, to his body, but he did survive. And, you know, I just find him such a remarkable man because he went through such an, an ordeal, such a painful ordeal emotionally and physically. However, at the end of the day, he has such 
a great sense of humor about him. He's such a personal, you know, person. He, you know, almost kind of like it's going to be. It's going to sound uh, like a weird use of the phrase, but it's kind of like he was kind of like reborn in a certain way. Um, started a new family. You know, he's just. He's just a remarkable person. I can't say enough things about him. What was your experience like with Joe? What was it like when you first met him and talked to him about the, the project? Well, you know, you're hitting on something extremely important. And when you when you break down these characters, Jack Russell, Joe Kinnan, and the others, um, there's a reason why they're in the film. And it was not by accident. It was by design of trying to understand the choices that, for instance, Jack Russell made versus the choices that Joe Kinnan made. And I'm talking mm. about after the fire. Yes. So, you know, one of our chapters in the film, as, as you'll notice, one of the titles is we are the choices that we make. And the way I define Joe is that Joe, by the way, when you mentioned reborn, that's very accurate because Joe has a second birthday and he actually celebrates his second birthday and it's in May. <laughs> and um, he was woken out of a coma and he considers that you know, basically his second birthday and wow. that was his choice. He, he did not look in a mirror. He, he couldn't bring himself to look in a mirror for almost two years. And yeah. um, you can kind of imagine that when you finally look at yourself, um, I don't know if you can imagine that, but if you think about that for a minute and, you know, decide that, okay, today's the day I'm going to look at myself in the mirror after, which has happened, you know, you have a choice to make, you know, I either don't want to be on this earth anymore, which many people would take that path, or I can choose to live my life as a another new person a re reborn person in some sense and that's what he did so just as important as jack russell is in the film joe kinnon is um certainly if not more important equally as important they're all important um because as a viewing audience i think you can see the balance and and not balance i guess so much but just again the choices that we make it was up to joe that that was joe's choice to live the way he's living now and that that's jack's choice to live the way he lives you know the thing that really got me really just angry when watching the film is that this whole scenario, this whole situation really came down to a perfect storm of mistakes. Mm -hmm. It could have been unavoidable in a lot of ways. So a lot of people dropped the ball and it's just shocking how really how inadequate and irresponsible the, the lack of checks and balances were. If one person did one thing correctly, it's a good chance that maybe this thing wouldn't have happened, you know? When you first come across all the information in regards to what happened that night, the circumstances of it, just how shocked were you with all the information laid out in front of you? Because I'll tell you what, like I myself, when just watching it, it was just, it really just it infuriated me because it's just, it comes down to just a lack of um, professionalism and um, also a people taking greed over safety. I think that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. That's absolutely right. And um, I guess a couple of things you, you can um, you can list on the paper. And that's why in the film you'll see in one of our acts, um, there's a long list of things that is being written down as notes. And it's everything from no fire extinguishers to inspections to overcapacity to, I mean, the list goes on and on. And, and you're absolutely right. If you pull one of those things out, you know, pull out the fact that, hey, there was a couple of fire extinguishers sitting on the side of the stage that could have easily put out the foam quickly. Um, consider pulling out the overcapacity, pull, pull out any one of those things, the perfect storm that had to happen. And I think that's what people find intriguing is that, and they get, and they get very emotional and upset about it. Um, when I read John's book, that that's when 
the answer to your question is that's when it all came to me because John did such a thorough job. Mm. The, the the book Killer Show is is goes with the documentary very well because it, it gets into the detail that we certainly can't get into in an 88 minute television version of the documentary. We we may do a, a, a an extended product down the road, but I had to have John's book as the fundamental foundation. Not that the film was going to be based on the book, you know, from a creative, you know, follow the page perspective, but from a factual standpoint to try to understand what really happened and what mistakes happened and who is to blame. So that's why the the film lies on top of the foundation of the book Killer Show, which all the things you're mentioning in terms of the mistakes and the greed and the ego and all of those things are very well laid out in more detail in the book if, if people are interested. Something that is remarkable about that night is the, the footage that came from it. This was before smartphones. So it's not like these days where people were like practically watching the concert, you know, through their phone while at an actual concert. Like people had cameras and they had VHS tapes, tapes et cetera. Um, you know, we are spared in, in many ways the horrific imagery um, that from that night. I mean, a lot of it is described. A lot of it is alluded to. Some of it is just some brief glimpses here or there. I'm sure yourself as the filmmaker having to go through all the hours of footage would have seen things that would have affected you deeply. What, what is that like to see these images? Uh, and to this day, did, is they, is this, are, they, is, are these images still something that, that affect you like right down to the, to the core of who you are as a person? Yeah. Um, j- just touching on one thing you said, which I think is really important is it did the, this tragedy happened right before the explosion of, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. And um, that's why we we couldn't spend that much time on it. But it is a really important point to make is that we become numb to this stuff now. And, and, mm. and then that was not the case. And, and you turned on your television set and you waited till 11 o'clock at night to watch the news. Um, so that's why it becomes really important why that footage was so important. But going to your question specifically, as far as from a filmmaker perspective, um, Yes, it's very it's it's very disturbing. I mean, parts of that video, obviously, from the Brian Butler video, were was captured by a local news station. If you watch the film and read the book, um, there was a cameraman in the club that night. Um, but you got to remember, the cameraman um, was out pretty quickly, right? Mm-hmm. So within a minute and a half, I mean, if you weren't out of that club in ninety seconds, uh, you likely were not getting out of that club. So that shows you how quickly that that news cameraman came out of that club. However, he did capture a lot of things from the outside that are pretty horrific. And, um, but I'll tell you one thing, you mentioned images and as filmmakers, you know, we talk about images and that's our, that's our toolkit. But honestly, sound was, was more um, disturbing to me. Hmm. And, you know, when, when you're, when you're a filmmaker, you know, a lot of people, I don't want to say forget about sound, but it sometimes can be more than 50%, 60% of, of the movie. Um, we couldn't do that as much in this television version, just by the nature of the format. But I will tell you, there's a story that we had to leave out of this film that we hope to put back into a longer version. And it has to do with sound. And it has to do with some other piece of media that was uncovered that nobody has heard and uh, it has not been publicized. And um, we would never, you know, play that tape, but, you can think to yourself for a minute that, you know, sounds can sometimes be more disturbing than, than images. 
Yeah, I remember that movie, um, the Werner Herzog one, Grizzly Man. And um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever saw that. There's a scene where yes. um, they are listening to the attack of the, the bear attack. There was no visual, but there was image. Um, there was a soundtrack of it, and, and they refused to, to air it on there. And I think it really goes to the point you were talking about with um, with sound exactly. because the imagination kind of takes over there, doesn't it, and creates its own uh, right. image. Um, is it true? I mean, you, you mentioned a couple of times now that the potential of an extended cut or maybe. Uh, maybe even maybe a series in the future. Is it true that you had like 350 hours of, of footage that you were working with? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you think about for a minute, you know, let's take Jack Russell and take, you know, the concept of going backstage and understanding the life of a rock star today, you know, the rise and fall of this eighties God to, you know, some of the clubs that he plays today. If you are, a fly on the wall and, and you're capturing hours and hours of behind the scenes footage. Or if you're in the hospital with Joe Kinnon or out on the playground with him and his wife and his child, you can see how that footage can add up very, very, very quickly. Because mm. again, this isn't about sitting down for an interview. This is about living with these people and understanding how these people live. And um, so 350 hours um, and it sounds like a lot, but when I explained to you, you know, it's not as much as you think. And the problem is there's about 10 different movies sitting on the, in the archives right. <laughs> on the cutting room floor that are equally as engaging and compelling. And as I mentioned to you, there are many things that were left out of this. So um, yes, as, currently there's a, a couple of things in the works to either for a director's cut, a feature length seamless for like video on demand or streaming um, even DVD Blu-ray, which I know is kind of a dinosaur these days, is not so much in this particular genre because a lot of the fans still buy physical product and they like to collect. So I sure um, do. That's yes. always a possibility. Yeah, and so for bonus scenes, for additional, you know, episode, episodic pieces that were left out, or for extended interviews and things like that. So we have a lot of things in the works that we're trying to just weigh the pros and cons, you know, by the end of the year. Um, final question. What has the reaction been like from the people of Rhode Island, especially the people, you know, the families of victims and such? Have they seen it? Have they got any feedback in regards to the film? I'm really curious to see whether this has helped in any way to maybe not achieve closure, but maybe have one step closer towards that. Yeah, that's probably one of the the biggest things that haunted me every single day in the editing room is, am I making the right choices you know for these people because that's why i'm doing this right and um so it it was a very strenuous time (laughs) to try to understand uh, you know how are they going to feel and um we had a screening um a private screening in rhode island for uh for the families that were in in the film and the survivors and i I was overwhelmed at how happy and i I mean i want to say happy in terms of happy but the emotions that they left with and many watch it over and over and over again. It's hard because some of them are seeing their loved ones, you know, again, a lot of them won't even look at their own family photo albums sometimes, or they won't even look at their home movies because it's too difficult. So especially when you see them and their family members up on the screen in a story. um, And, you know, in the case of Mike and Sandy, the young, you know, beautiful couple who died together in the fire you know, they had just gotten married a year prior to that. And so, you know, when you see Sandy in her wedding video and you watch her and you see her talk, it it, it can be jarring. So, um, but 
every what's really what's really interesting to me is that we have not had one negative reaction. I mean, by far, not even average reactions, but extremely powerful, happy. Thank you for doing this. You know, people can now understand what we live with. Um, people will never forget my loved ones, and th- those are the kind of reactions we get. So for everyone out there listening, the guest list available in the US at Reels. If you go to reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, you can find more information there. Um, this is an important you know, documentary, David, I really do believe. So, you know, I don't know if you know, but here in Australia, um, we just started opening up um, our, our venues and only a couple of days ago, one one venue, a pretty popular one in Sydney called the Enmore, had a, had a um, uh, floor collapse four meters down in a packed house so these things happen you know well even even to this day and i, I don't know what the uh the circumstances behind that but if, if anyone thinks it can't happen something like this whether it be through mistake or irresponsibility or what have you can happen at the next gig that you go to um just just you know make sure that the, everything is, is taken care of before you go out and you, that you go to somewhere that's safe um and david bellina thank you so very much for joining me tonight the guest list is just such a, a great a great documentary you did great work here and i just want to say thank you again for for joining me matt thank you very much i appreciate you having me